anybody else out there that is tired of all the underwater puns that Johnny C uses here in the Aqua Cave. Good! I'm not tired of them either. You know, the one thing I've always wanted to do, though, aside from my trademark Aqua-related entrance that I give on the top of every episode, is I've always wanted to kind of make it sound like I was producing a podcast underwater. Not in a way that it sounded like shit, but just in a way that could be fun. And so, in order to do that, what I've decided to do is I've brought the Aqua Cave version of Gary Michael Capetta back here into the cave. And Gary, would you be willing to introduce the show? I would! Okay, Gary, go ahead and introduce the show to everybody. Aqua Lads and Aqua Lessons! The following podcast, scheduled for hopefully less than 90 minutes, is brought to you by Johnny C. It is called Bright Man! The rules of the Bright Man podcast are as follows. 1. You will press play from an audio-equipped listening device, such as a phone, a computer, or other mechanized device. After pressing play in the Aqua Cave feed, you will begin listening to a program called Brightman. Brightman topics are discovered in the following ways. Number one, Johnny C. selects a topic. Number two, Johnny C. records the podcast. And number three, your ears are penetrated with the sweet sounds of Johnny C.'s voice. Today's topic is the three jokers. Thank you, Gary. Now get the fuck out of here. I'm not paying you for this either. Oh, yeah, get out of here. But anyway, guys, thanks for the underwater introduction, Gary. It is Brightman, the show where we... You know what? I, why recap what Gary said? Today's topic, folks, or today's episode is called Three Jokers. Now, what the fuck does that mean? I promise I will explain it. So, it is the day after SummerSlam 2022. And we have finally discovered the exact contents of what is underneath a WWE ring. Holy shit. You know, my wife said to me, because uh, she couldn't be bothered being in the same room that I was while watching SummerSlam. She said, well, what was the best part of SummerSlam? And I said, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I actually saw something that I've never seen before. I explained to her what happened, and she said, why do you watch that shit? And I said, I don't know. But anyway, so last night at SummerSlam, aside from the ring being lifted into the air, did anybody else see the SummerSlam Joker? All right. That dude was fucking insane. I forget who he was yelling at. Um, uh, it was somebody that couldn't be bothered selling for it either. I don't know who it was. but and I, and I heard, or at least I saw on Twitter, that the SummerSlam Joker was ejected from the premises. Poor guy. Although, he did, let's not kid ourselves. He did kind of look like a terrorist. All right? But that's what the Joker was. But it's sort of... It, look, obviously, it made me think of the Joker and the Dark Knight and all that shit. But then... It also, and this is how my brain works, if anybody's curious. So I've been on a big nostalgia kick. Hopefully you listened to the last episode of Bright Man, which, co- which covered uh, the life and death and the resurrection of the Undertaker and the reign of the Underfaker. Um, so I'm on this big, like, nostalgia kick where I've been digging through Superstars episodes and just sort of, I don't know, I'm not saying it's great or anything like that, but it's really got me wanting to watch older stuff. And the 1990 Intercontinental Championship certainly helped with that. So when you combine the SummerSlam Joker with my desire for nostalgia, and then you add in one final piece. About a month ago, 
I reread because I've read it numerous times the uh, story that's called Batman Three Jokers, written by Jeff Johns. Now, I'm not here to talk about Jeff Johns as a person. I don't know the dude. I don't know how he handles himself. I don't know how he handles himself when he's under the pressure of trying to be the creative lead for an entire film studio, okay? He may not be good. He may not be evil. He may be human. I don't know, and I don't... Well, I care, of course, but at the same time, he's a great comic book writer, in my opinion. A couple years ago, he wrote a story called Batman Three Jokers. The general premises is that the Batman finally discovers the true identity of the Joker. Kind of he discovers that there have actually been three Jokers throughout history, and they have decided to team up for the very first time to take down the Batman. And whether or not that interests you, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Although, if you are into comics, I'd recommend reading it because it's pretty fucking good. Now, how does this tie in to a show about wrestling called Brightman? Well, when you combine the SummerSlam Joker my desire for nostalgia, and the fact that I recently read a story called Three Jokers, I came up with this concept. I, that being Johnny C, am a huge fan of the evil version of Doink the Clown. And when I say a huge fan, I mean like a big fan. Now, I don't have Doink action figures, although I would totally take one if anybody wants to send me one. Um, you know, I don't have a Doink shirt, although I maybe I might buy one after recording this, you know, and stuff like that. But I love the concept and the idea, and I absolutely see the entire run of Doink as a missed opportunity in terms of having an evil clown character. That being said, I started wondering in my head, what can I do with Doink the Clown that could be fun for a show? And I remembered that, and this isn't really relevant to this presentation, but if you're interested, I did a fun little sort of audio drama over on the North-South Connection podcast network. I believe it was the fourth episode of The Multiverse of Fabulousness, where I rebooked 1993 onward in the WWE's history, sort of as like a a one-man show, because I did a lot of voices. But it's basically Hulk Hogan turning heel in the WWF after WrestleMania 9 and forming the NWO in the WWF. The faction was called TBS, which is a play on TBS and Turner and all that jazz, but it also stood for, I think it was the Blockbuster Studio. And the idea was that Hulk Hogan turned into Hollywood Hulk Hogan because he was obsessed with the fact that he was a quote-unquote movie star. And all of the members of TBS or the NWO were supposed to be representative of various uh, facets or arms of entertainment. For example, Jerry the King Lawler was a member. He was the king of television uh, because he beat up Andy Kaufman and he was on Raw every week. Doink the Clown was also in the faction. He was the king of late night. And my idea for that version of Doink was that he would host like a talk show, all of the Heartbreak Hotel or the Funeral Parlor, the Snake Pit, whatever. And, you know, he'd have a desk like a late night talk show host, but he would be very off-putting and frightening and have on like random real people. And the talk shows would be basically him joking about their appearance, the way they look, and then beating the shit out of them with his mallet. Uh, Also, the final member was the king of international distribution, the Rocket King, Owen Hart. Go listen to it. It's fun. But, you know, here in Bright Man, we don't 
talk about alternate realities, we sort of just relive shit. Well, I guess there's no rules, but so far we've been reliving actual events. And that's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to talk about Doink, and the three Jokers was on my head. So, today we're going to talk about the Holy Trilogy. No, not Star Wars. We're going to talk about the Doink versus Mr. Perfect King of the Ring Qualifier Trilogy. Now, if anybody is not aware of what that is, let me summarize it for you briefly. Back when the WWF had the King of the Ring tournament in its early years, it was an eight-man tournament, and the full tournament would take place on pay-per-view. However, if you wanted to be one of the eight participants in the King of the Ring, you had to win a qualifying match. Um, You know, I think... Oh, I don't remember who beat who. But basically, for one of the spots in the 1993 tournament, it would uh, one of the spots would be awarded to Mr. Perfect or Doink the Clown. However, due to unique circumstances, these two individuals actually had three matches to determine who would be the eighth participant in the King of the Ring tournament. And these matches have always been spoken about fondly by individuals who remember them. Well, guess what, folks? I don't remember them. I don't know that I've ever watched all of them. I know I've seen the finale, or the Return of the Jedi, or the Revenge of the Sith, or the Rise of Skywalker, if you want to compare it to that, and that's not what we're here to do. So what I'm going to do today is watch each match and sort of talk to each one, or talk to each one of you about each one of the matches and what I figure out along the way. So, if that sounds like a fun time, let's go ahead and dive back into the world of the 1993 WWF and see what the superstars are up to. Now, I don't know how the rest of you out there feel, but when it comes to spoilers, I don't ever want to be, or I don't ever like to think of myself as a person who would spoil something for somebody. Because I know that if somebody gave me movie spoilers, for example, I'd be pissed. For example, right now, I'm trying desperately not to have the new Jordan Peele film, Nope, spoiled for myself. I haven't seen it yet. I honestly don't know and can't promise I'm going to get to theaters to see it. So I'm trying desperately to make sure that I don't read anything about it, including reviews or what have you, because I don't want any pieces of information about it. That being said, this is a wrestling show and concept from 1993, so my goal is not to spoil the 1993 King of the Ring for anybody, but guys, I'm going to talk about this thing as if we all know what happens, okay? So that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, of course, if it's a King of the Ring qualifying trilogy between Doink and Mr. Perfect, most of us know that, obviously, Mr. Perfect is going to be the victor at the end, because... We all know that in the semis, Bret the Hitman Hart and uh, Mr. Perfect wrestle in a pretty decent uh, sort of rematch of their SummerSlam 91 Intercontinental title match and what have you, and that's part of the legacy of Bret Hart winning the tournament. But I did want to set the scene, because we talked about these qualifying matches earlier, and I wanted to just relive the bracket here real quick with everybody just to see how this tournament went down in terms of the qualifiers. Maybe at the end we'll go through the actual tournament itself. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> if I remember to, we'll see. But 
This was the quote-unquote first King of the Ring, at least the first one that was going to be done on television. There had been a lot of tournaments, even reaching back to the 80s. I think Savage won one. I think Bret Hart even won one of these things in like 91, maybe. But ironically, uh, it would not be acknowledged, and that's okay. No big deal. I'm just putting it out there, so nobody's going to question my wrestling knowledge credibility. So the first round of television all took, or of television, of qualifying matches all took place on television. In the opening round match, Brett the Hitman Clark uh, waged war against Bai, and in the end was victorious after a gruesome, gruesome match that saw lots of blood, and it was heavily censored on television, if you remember. Wait a minute, that's not what that means? I'm being, hand- I'm being handed a piece of paper that says you're wrong. Oh, Bret Hart was granted a bye in the first round because I guess he was a former WWF champion? All right, I suppose that sounds fair. Let's not get let that get lost in the narrative. Your hero, Bret the Hitman Clark, took the easy way out in the first round. Razor Ramon qualified by defeating El Matador Tito Santana via pinfall in 3 minutes and 21 seconds. I'm sure that was a barn burner, which of course sets Bret and Razor in the first quarterfinals matchup. Uh, I won't go into specifics, but Perfect qualifies over the Doinkster, which we'll get into. Uh, the other match in that bracket was Kamala being taken to school by Mr. Hughes, winning via countout in a little over two and a half minutes. Jim Hexall Duggan, or the Hexall Jim Duggan, the hoe man, Mr. USA, uh, defeated Papa Shango via pinfall in a timestamp that's not available on Wikipedia. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Typhoon. Good lord. There's some that is definitely equivalent to Dave's triple on the Wendy's menu. Uh, and it was a pinfall victory for the Bamster, which makes sense in five minutes. Good lord. Why are these guys going five minutes and Razor and Tito are only going three? Mr. Bob Backlund was defeated by the Bressis, oh excuse me, the narcissist Lex Luger. Via Countout, again, trying to maintain some credibility for the Baxter, in 4 minutes and 53 seconds. And Native American Tatanka Buffalo defeated the Giant Gonzalez via DQ in 2 minutes and 59 seconds. Which, of course, would make the quarterfinals Brett and Razor, as we discussed. Perfect and Hughes, the Battle of the Misters. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Bam Bam Bigelow. And then the Bressesis and the Buffalo. I hear that match isn't very good. But that sort of sets the scene for how these qualifying matches were laid out. You know, they were short, and they were kind of one-sided. All right, looking at Razor and Tito specifically, nothing against Tito. It's 1993, though. Razor's clearly going to win. Kamala and Mr. Hughes, I guess... I guess you could see going either way, but it's definitely safer for Kamala to eat a loss because it's easy to explain why Kamala would get himself counted out. Papa Shango and Hacksaw, honestly, on paper, I would think, well, Papa Shango, but it's a Hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course, and the the heel's going to win the next match, so I guess you got to have a baby face, but I don't know. I, I would assume Faith was lost in Papa Shango at this point in time, and Hacksaw is a good enough name to have go down in the first round, so that's fine. Uh, Bam Bam and Typhoon. I mean, good lord. I mean, uh, honestly, looking at the roster of talent involved in every King of the Ring match, I'm going on record saying Bai has a better chance of being King of the Ring than the Typhster. All right? 
He is a natural disaster of epic proportions. As we talked about on that episode of Starman, where the disasters took on Money, Inc. at WrestleMania 8, Typhoon brought that match down to the negative stars all by himself. It was (laughs) clearly a master of shocking me into hating a match. Enough of that, though. Backlund and Luger, well, it seems one-sided, but I don't know. I guess it's a count-out, so it doesn't surprise me that Backlund goes down, but I guess I could have... Well, Lex Luger's not going to lose at this point. And, of course, undefeated Buffalo man Tatanka was undefeated. I guess it's redundant saying it's so close to one another, so of course it makes sense to put him over Gonzalez, but it doesn't make sense for him to beat Gonzalez via pinfall, so DQ was the only safe way to go. But... That, of course, takes us back to the one qualifying match we didn't talk about in detail. So it's May 1st, 1993. Your parents are still sleeping. uh, And you've woken up to watch WWF Superstars. And Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and Jerry the, the King Lawler are on commentary. The Doinkster is the first to emerge. As the graphic on screen lets us know that this is a King of the Ring qualifying match. Little graphics always add so much, especially in the 90s. Doink's theme song is fucking amazing. And I had forgotten how much hair the Doinkster had popping out of the back of that mask. But he is very menacing, and he has some sort of stick with him. I don't know if it's like a whistle. It's not his mallet, which I don't remember him having the mallet a lot. I suppose I mainly remember it from WrestleMania, the arcade game. But I'm pretty sure he had it as a heel at some point. Most of Doik's entrance is spent on commentary speaking about two specific things. Number one, the babyface announcers are kind of giving Jerry Lawler shit, uh, basically saying to him, how can you justify calling yourself the king, Jerry the King Lawler that is, when you haven't entered the king of the ring tournament itself? Which, of course, are setting some seeds and laying down some groundwork for a storyline that will take place during the coordination of the King of the Ring tournament. And so I wanted to bring that to your attention, just because I thought it was a fun little Easter egg. The other half of Doink's entrance is spent talking about double vision. Of course, we all know at WrestleMania 9, Doink the Clown perpetrated a masterful illusion for the toga-clad audience by having another Doink the Clown appear and assisting him in his match where he defeated Kona Crush. Vince McMahon, of course, says that Bobby the Brain Heenan believes that legendary illusionist and pussy posse member David Copperfield assisted the Doinkster at WrestleMania as they were in Las Vegas. Now, if you're not familiar with the pussy posse, you might be saying to yourself, what the fuck are you talking about? Apparently, in the late 90s, there was a group of Hollywood hotshots that ran wild on the ladies like they were goddamn Ric Flair, allegedly. Pussy Posse consisted of leader Leonardo DiCaprio and then members uh, Tobey Maguire, the Spider-Man, uh, the dude who played E on Entourage, which is weird because I don't think of that dude as like being attractive. I'm not one to judge. I'm not attracted to dudes. I certainly have no problem saying that a dude is good looking, though. Take, for example, George Clooney. Fuck that dude's good looking. I'd kill to look like George Clooney. So, you know, I have no I have no problem saying that a dude is attractive. But that dude just doesn't, uh, that being E from Entourage, doesn't scream attractive male to me. And, of course, David Copperfield was a master of this as well. Apparently, his specialty was... Uh, creating the illusion that he was wearing protection 
No, I, I, you know, I shouldn't even make that joke because that's mean. That's mean and throw shade at the Copperfield, man. And I don't want to do that because have, has anybody out there seen that fantastic HBO sports documentary, Seven Days in Hell, about that tennis match that lasted seven days? Uh, where they kind of make fun of the Pussy Posse by insinuating that uh, the Andy Samberg tennis player was a member of the Pussy Posse, and David Copperfield actually appears on screen. It's a it's a mockumentary about a tennis match that stars Andy Samberg and Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. It's on HBO Max, Seven Days in Hell. You will love it. Indubitably. Mr. Perfect makes his entrance now, and the Macho Man assures us, Well, there's only one Mr. Perfect. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to stop any double vision type shenanigans if they occur in this match. Before the bell can ring, though, the Macho Man just sort of yells something. You know, as a person that has Tourette's, I can, I'm allowed to make Tourette's jokes. So so Savage, on commentary, just sort of lets out a verbal tick. It's a, it's a sentence that actually makes sense, but the way he delivers it, it's like he has to get it out or else his mind will explode. He's like, go get him, Mr. Perfect, beat, doink! And then he could take a breather because he got his point out into the ether. But... Let's talk about this match in detail. So here's what I'm going to do, all right? I'll just kind of recap the match, point out anything that uh, is interesting to me and, and fun for the narrative, okay? And and gives information for the overall trilogy that we need to have. At the end of each match, what the hell? I'll give it the old college try. I'll give it a star ranking. And I will try to look at it as a serious wrestling match. If anyone's ever listened to a program or review matches, sometimes it's tongue-in-cheek. I'll try to use just the wrestling presentation, but I'm going to put this out there right now. I'm going to be using the baseline system, stealing it from some of the folks over at the North-South Connection. The baseline system, assuming that a decent wrestling match is just two and a half stars, which is halfway to five, being the best you could possibly get. If they start to fuck things up, they'll lose stars, and if they start to do positive things, they'll gain stars. So two and a half being... Yeah, it's just a wrestling match on television. Five being a Tokyo Dome classic, and we'll go from there. So let's talk about match one of the Holy Trilogy. Well, I don't know if it's Holy, but it's a trilogy. Mr. Perfect and the Doinkster, Doink the Clown from May 1st, WWF Superstars. Saying it like Todd Pettengale, WWF Superstars. The match proper begins with such a cool little concept. I really hope that it's a nod to the actual character themselves. But here's what happens as Mr. Perfect is walking down the aisle, tossing himself his towel, looking so cool. He gets to the ringside area, and out of the frame, or the picture, or the side of the television, comes Doink. Sort of like he's created an illusion coming right into frame, and he attacks Mr. Perfect and slams him right into the steps. Now, I'm not saying they did any sort of camera tricks or anything like that. That comes later. But here's the thing. I love that they've sort of gotten over the fact that you've got to keep your eye on Doink because not only is he crazy when it comes to his clown-like powers, I guess, but he's also a sneaky wrestler. And after all, that's what this is going to be about. Doink rams Mr. Perfect into the steel steps again, and Jerry the King Lawler's all like, you want to talk about testing his metal? That's a really bad Jerry Lawler impression, by the way. But Doink continues with vicious and angry strikes that are very heelish. He tosses Mr. Perfect into the ring so we can begin a proper wrestling encounter for 1993. He goes to drop a knee on Mr. Perfect, but no! 
perfect rolls out of the way and begins to tell his story. He's going after that left leg that Doink landed on when he tried to errantly crush Mr. Perfect. And it's a full-fledged assault on Doink's left leg, which makes sense from a character like Mr. Perfect. He's perfect. He's going to go after a limb. He's sort of an old-school style wrestler, if you will. So limb work is what's on the menu. Now, the Doinkster begs for mercy as his left leg is just being mercifully beaten upon. It's fantastic clown begging. I don't know any other way to put it. And you know the fact that Doink wears this big green wig and it gets all poofy and out of shape as he's getting the shit kicked out of him? It just makes the clown style selling so much better. You know, as the match continues, his makeup sort of starts to rub and he's got a shit ton of hair underneath that mask. He absolutely looks like the creepy dude who when you hire a clown for your kid's party and they show up like, Ugh, where, where are the kids at? Those fuckers are going to laugh. Like, that's who Doink is, right? It just so happens that he also moonlights as a professional wrestler. Maybe he was like a star athlete in high school and then it all fell apart one night. Uh, I don't know. That That's, I'm, I'm being silly at that point. But this Doink the Clown is just so many unique, interesting things that are all coming to me as I'm watching this matchup because the entire time Doink the Clown, the wrestler, is acting like Doink the Clown. Like if Doink the Clown was a fucking real person. It's stupendous. And all this from him selling. But let's get back to the actual encounter. Okay? So, uh, what happens next? Oh, I got it. I got you. Mr. Perfect does the thing where he puts Doink's leg on the ropes and then jumps up off the ropes and then crushes it down. Really nice. He picks Doink up and puts him up against the ropes. Mr. Perfect throws a very stiff Ric Flair chop. Woo! Reverse edge. And he just throws one, and it hits and smacks hard. And Doink flies backwards, completely flips out to the outside of the ring. Off just this chop. It's just, I don't know, it's stupendous. And I don't say that to be silly. Like, it just works. Because um, I feel like, I don't know, it just works with Doink especially. Like, you can do a crazy thing like beat him to death with one chop, and he takes a giant leap and flies over the ring because he's a clown. But he's an evil clown, so he's going to make you pay for it. I don't know. It just, it just works. Now, Mr. Perfect rams Doink's face into the steel steps as well. So we're right back where we started, where Doink was on offense, taking advantage of Mr. Perfect, ramming him into the steps, and then in control. And then Perfect had a control segment, and we've ended at the steel steps. It's just a really nice little match at chapter one, in my opinion. I'm not saying they did it on purpose, but what have you. Uh, we already talked about the wig. Again, it looks great here when he gets bounced off the steps. Back inside the ring, and Doink begs Mr. Perfect for mercy again. And Perfect continues to assault the left wheel and does the stump puller as well. And Doink is your heel in peril. I like this because this type of stuff works with Perfect because I believe him. He's very believable as a babyface that's just going to wrestle and, you know, not take it easy on you because he's winning. So I like that. It makes sense and seems to be in line with the character. Now, Macho Man Randy Savage on commentary makes a very bold statement by indicating that the King of the Ring tournament is just as prestigious as the WWF Championship. Clearly, they're already in damage control for what they've done to Brett. You could just feel it right from this moment. 
Doink is now hanging onto the ropes, so Mr. Perfect won't be allowed to pull him away and put him in a submission move. Like, he's hanging on for dear life, and he's really exaggerating his struggle. And again, it works perfect for this clown character. Uh, And he's very much, like, screaming. Not screaming in a way where he's, like, screaming, but he's like, oh, come on! Like, he's talking. Like, it's just... I don't know. It's really great. He's, He's actively... He's an active participant in the begging for forgiveness and for Mr. Perfect to to not hurt him any further. It just works so well. Doink breaks loose, though, and flees to the apron. Takes a breather. Perfect yanks him by the hair and stands him up. Then he pulls him back into the ring, and Doink flips right over and takes a bump right on his face. Really nice. Again, perfect in control as sort of a vicious babyface beating up on this quote-unquote helpless clown. Perfect then winds up and hits his big knee lift, and it knocks Doink completely out of the ring, uh, all the way to the floor. This time, this match will continue! Stay with us! You know, that whole thing happens. Now, this is a nice moment, because we go to commercial and we come instantly back, because, you know, it's the future. And Mr. Perfect is now laying on the outside exactly where Doink was, and he is just a big pile of humanity that's clearly been on the losing end of a physical confrontation. So what happened? We cut to the ring now, uh, trying to maybe hopefully have the announcers shed some light. But we see Doink in the ring, and he's just laying down on his back with his arms folded under his head like it's a pillow. He's having himself a little Saturday afternoon snooze, and this is stupendous. I'm sure he threw Perfect out of the ring, and as Perfect is out there selling, Doink's just little pantomiming like, yeah, this one's in the bag. Ah, yeah, ain't I a stinker? You know, that whole thing. It's fantastic. Nap time is over, though, because Doink ascends to the top turnbuckle, aiming for Mr. Perfect, who is still on the outside and just now getting to his feet. Doink leaps off and hits a big axi-boomba, or a double axe hammer. It's fantastic. He lands on both legs, and he doesn't sell his left injury. But wait, about a half second after I'm like, oh no, he's not going to sell, and I'm going to have to start deducting points, his left leg buckles, and he falls backwards, bracing himself with the apron and sort of smiling and laughing. And I was I was going to be fair. Obviously, I'm into this doink presentation, but if he wouldn't have sold this, I was going to I was going to take him to task for it, but I don't have to cuz he's the doinkster. Now, this is a nice piece of presentation uh, sort of while Doink beats on Perfect in the match, and it's the perfect time to insert this into this match. It's like the perfect moment to rescue some it's not bad action, but it's just typical action. Vince McMahon says, we're going to throw to Kona Crush, who's watching this match in the back, and we're going to talk to him about what he's witnessing. We do the double feature view where the person they're interviewing should appear on the left, but no one is there. The background is there where there should be a person, but there's no one there. Suddenly, Doink magically appears in the frame. Like, they do a camera trick, but it's not a ridiculous camera camera trick. It's just, boop, and they cut to him, you know. Uh... Vince is floored, is floored by this revelation. Doink! How can you be here and there at the same time? He just kind of looks into the camera and says, It's an illusion. Like, answering the question, but also saying it as a question? It's fantastic. I really enjoyed this quite a bit. And then, they do the same camera trick after he cracks a smile, and Doink just disappears completely, and we cut back to the regular view. Just a stupendous concept that Doink not only used some sort of clown trick, 
so Crush couldn't appear for the interview, but then magically inserted himself with an illusion as he's in control of this wrestling match. Is it a step too far? No, because you can easily, in your mind, understand what Doink has done or how Doink plays these tricks. They're believable illusions, in quotation marks. Like, just kind of like how the Joker's master plans are, you know, they seem magical or like, oh my god, he's... He's, how is he doing all this at once? And it's like, no, he just had a very laid out, meticulous plan because he's a fucking psychotic person. And and I think that's what they're doing with Doink here. And I'll tell you what, it's too bad it's 1993 because 1993 clearly can't handle the Doinkster. All right. So eventually we do go back into the ring after this, you know, landing and out my leg hurts and after the interview and Doink is still in control. He's working the lower back of Mr. Perfect. This seems to be his target, just as Perfect has his target, that being Doink's leg. Lawyer, a lawyer, Lawler makes a crack that Doink is going to be appearing in Vegas with Siegfried and Roy as an illusionist. So, I don't know, just sort of a sign of the times, if you will. Perfect whips off the ropes, though, and obliterates Doink with a quick, stiff right hand to try to get back on offense. See, it was a big punch because Perfect bounced himself off the ropes first, so more momentum, stiffer punch. Doink counters back, though, with a suplex. And as they land from the suplex, Doink sells his own leg injury, and he starts messing with his own injured left leg and just has a laughing fit. He slaps the mat and laughs some more. Like, oh, my leg was fucking destroyed, but hey, at least I took out Mr. Perfect. (laughs) Like, obviously, I think the Doink character would be cooler than that, but that's just sort of what popped into my head. The clown prince of sports entertainment is the first one to get back on his feet. And Doink decides, what the hell? Let's go to the top rope yet again. And I thought for sure he was going to go for the whoopee cushion. Because, man, I'm waiting to see it. I don't remember Doink even doing the whoopee cushion. That's how much I've destroyed my memory when I was in college, folks. So, kids, don't smoke crack. That's terrible. Well... I think it's a pretty funny joke. I was going to say, smoking crack is terrible. Like, that that's a bit too far. All right, kidsters out there. But Doink gets on the top rope, and Mr. Perfect stands up as well. So Doink makes sure to stick it to him. Because, again, he's a clown. And he sort of sticks his ass out like he's juvenile. And he shakes his ass. And I love this because it's such a corny taunt. And it really, again shows that Doink the Clown realizes he's a stupid clown and also realizes that acting like a cheap clown is evil. I I love it. So he shakes his ass and again comes off the top with a big double axe handle. And Mr. Perfect is dazed. He's struggling. But again, he counters with the same counter from earlier, a big right hand. Now you might say, well, that's the same counter. No, I like it. I like the story here. Because, again, a slugfest breaks out. No more technical wrestling. No more clowning around. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And Doink's like, well, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. That's a Doink impression, I guess. But like I say, a slugfest breaks out. Mr. Perfect has had enough of this. He creates a little bit of distance, then closes that distance, and hits what can only be described as a snap perfect plex. It's not a full perfect plex but it is indeed a perfect plex. 
And think about the differences between like a suplex and a snap suplex. That's the difference between a perfect plex and a snap perfect plex. So, I mean, right away, again, I'm impressed because I've never seen it. It only gets a two count, however, he did because he doesn't get the full arch or the full hook. Um, now they're in a backslide battle where it looks like either combatant could get a pinfall with a backslide. Looks like Doink's going to get it. No, Perfect gets it. One, two, kick out by the Doinkster. Mr. Perfect then hits a roll up. One, two, no, a kick out by Doink. It's kind of a sloppy kick out, but that's okay because that just tells me that the story is, man, that was close. Mr. Perfect then hits a teardrop suplex. What does he have to do to kill this clown? One, two, no. Both men on their feet now, staring eye to eye. Chops, and we break down into a slap fight now. Again, what are these two going to have to do? The technical expertise is out the door. Or is it? Because Mr. Perfect breaks away from the slap fight, creates some distance, once again closes the distance immediately, whips Doink into the ropes, and now you're going to see a full Perfect Plex. Mr. Perfect hooks the leg, ready to slam him down and arch the back, but the bell rings. The announcers and Mr. Perfect are confused. Doink rolls out of the ring. Now let's talk about what happens afterwards. So everyone's trying to make heads or tails of what has happened. Doink is outside the ring, his green hair wig, all poofy, his real hair sticking back out of his mask, and his face paint still applied, but definitely battle damaged. And he just stares into the camera. Mike McGurk, who I believe is the announcer from Super WrestleMania and WrestleFest, makes the announcement that the time limit has expired. Apparently, the King of the Ring qualifying matches only have a 10-minute time limit, whereas the quarterfinals will get bumped up to 15. Now, during Mike's announcement, Doink is staring into the camera, as I'd mentioned. As soon as she implies that it's a draw and no one wins... Doink breaks into another laughing fit. And what he's getting over to me is he's clearly relishing the fact that even though he didn't win, he's ruined Mr. Perfect's aspirations, and therefore, that works for him. Because isn't that what an evil clown would want? If a clown's sole purpose in life is to make you smile, make you laugh, and make your day better, wouldn't an evil clown want the opposite of that? Ruin your day, make you frown, make your life worse. Doink sort of then starts rambling to himself, again, staring into the lens of the camera, and Vince, you know, primes the next segment, and because it's WWF superstars, and, you know, we we have to move on, we just sort of move on, and then this presentation ends for me, because I just watched the match on YouTube, since it's not available on the WWF Network on Peacock. Hey, Todd Pettengale here for the WWF Peacock Event Center. Peacock, not updated with WWF superstars from that era. Okay, so the match is completed. Let's get into our star rankings. The match was good. I take no issues with the length of this match, obviously. I mean, it's a sub-10-minute match, and that's totally fine. Both guys had a story that they stuck to, as well as an overall narrative. Doink worked a limb, being the back to a lesser extent. 
Perfect worked the left leg and Doink sold the left leg the entire match. Perfect was, no pun intended, perfectly acceptable when he was on offense, and he wasn't a bland Saturday morning cartoon hero babyface because he threw fisticuffs. He broke into a slap fight, but he wasn't breaking the rules, so he was maintaining his face status. Doink's character stuff was so good. There was not a single moment in this match, pre-match, post-match, any of the on-camera presentation where he wasn't an evil wrestling clown. And that's the highest praise I can offer. So I'm ne- I'm absolutely not going to take any stars away. So they, they maintain their base at two and a half. I'm going to give them a star for all their wrestling-based storytelling. That's going to bump it up to three and a half, which, if that was it, would be a pretty damn good ranking for a 10-minute match on a Saturday morning uh, show because they only end up showing about seven, seven and a half, maybe a little bit more of the match itself. And I'm going to give them an extra quarter for all the character stuff. So the first match of the trilogy ends at my ranking of three and three quarters, which I think is a pretty fucking amazing accomplishment considering what we're looking at here. A throwaway episode of a throwaway wrestling show. Not that these episodes aren't important. Not that this match isn't important. I'm just saying you never know what you're going to get with these things like that. It's usually, you know, the uh, Giant Gonzalez versus, you know, Major Yates. And the Giant Gonzalez wins in, you know, 48 seconds with a chokehold. I don't know. So getting this is pretty fucking cool. Now, I'm interested to see what of this narrative will carry forward. I'm hoping that Doink can maintain his evil clown presence. Will there be more limb work? Will it be the same limbs? And will the match break down into fisticuffs as it did before here in the first match? Let's take a look at what happened next in the middle part of the trilogy. That's usually everybody's favorite, you know? Your your Empire Strikes Back. Or... <laughs> The Last Jedi, which everybody loved The Last Jedi, didn't they? Man, that was a... Actually, I really like The Last Jedi. Sure, there are some parts that don't work, but any movie has parts that don't work. Even The Holy Empire Strikes Back has moments that don't work. Maybe. Uh, Or Attack of the Clones. Everybody loves Attack of the Clones. It's rough, it's coarse, it's irritating, and it gets everywhere. But this is not Star Wars, uh, you know. But we're talking about trilogies, so I throw in a little humor there for the folks that like it. Uh, our next contest, I believe, takes us all the way over to Wrestling Challenge. Now, this match takes place on air date. Uh, I guess it would be either, like, because it's two weeks later. Uh, I guess that makes it, like, May 15th or May 16th, depending on your area and your syndication schedule in your local area. But it is Wrestling Challenge, which means that Jim Ross and Bobby the Brain Heenan are going to be on the call, which excites me. It is 1993, so JR lets us know right off the bat, I think it's like the first thing that he actually says, that there should be a tremendous event between two tremendous athletes, Bobby. You know, because that's just kind of Jim Ross in a nutshell in 1993. He mentions that two weeks ago, it was indeed a time limit draw, which gives us our timeline. Bobby says that Doink told me personally he was just playing around two weeks ago. This time, he means business. JR points out that Bobby the Brain Heenan knows all about the athletic prowess of Mr. Perfect, who indeed makes his entrance first. You were close with him at one time, until you ripped him off. I didn't rip him off! He stabbed me in the back! But I'm gonna be honest with you, pound for pound, aside from Andre, he's the toughest guy I ever managed. Which I love. 
I love that Bobby is still willing to put over perfect because obviously they're chums, but it makes sense that he's going to put over that perfect is tough. He has tenacity. He's a hell of an athlete. Like, I get it. And and I appreciate that character, you know. I appreciate that this 1993 version of Bobby the Brain Heenan is showing that he's the same Bobby the Brain Heenan character. He might not be in love with Perfect at the time, but he respects his history. As Mr. Perfect gets into the ring, he pulls off a fantastic behind-the-back towel toss straight to referee Dave Hebner, who stretches like a big boy and makes a one-handed grab up top. It's just a lot of fun. Now, Doink the Clown emerges from the back to his fantastic theme music but I'm not gonna I'm gonna stop singing because I really want to focus on this and I want to pay it the proper respect doink emerges holding a bucket of popcorn he's eating popcorn as he makes his way down the aisle and he's not just taking little bites he's shoving mouthfuls of popcorn into his mouth which allows excess pieces to fall out as he chews and looks sloppy because he's not just an evil clown he's a disgusting clown and and I'm not trying to be silly or sound like Vince here like we talked about this like Doink the Clown the character is just like this guy who happens to also be a clown and he's just he's a disgusting human being he's an evil clown i just love it it just fucking makes sense to me if you're like oh yeah he's a he's an evil clown it's like what the fuck is that well this is an evil clown all right now he's smiling at the folks at ringside and sort of shrugging at them as well and he's offering different members of the audience popcorn by offering them the bucket and of course as they go to reach in He pulls the bucket away and laughs and smiles like an asshole. He then approaches a man holding a young boy. Now, I'm I'm no uh, age expert, but this kid's probably 6'7", maybe. Maybe 5'. He's not 6'7 feet tall. This isn't the giant Gonzalez as a young child. He's like 5, 6, or 7 years old, I'm estimating, okay? And the child kind of looks scared. How do I know this? Am I an empath? Well, no. The kid is kind of frozen. Frozen solid. He's been having fun at the wrestling show, but now this evil clown is right in front of him, and he's almost too afraid to even be afraid. Doink, the performer, catches on to this. He walks closer, and he squirts the child with water from his water flower. Now, I'm giving this kid all the credit in the world because he no-sells it, But he no-sells it because I believe firmly he's so frightened he doesn't know what the fuck to do. If if the child even moves, I think he's going to burst into tears at any second. He's so overwhelmed. Every emotion in his little body and his brain is firing at the same time. And he doesn't know how to react. This is amazing, in my opinion. Okay? Yes, I'm selling it hard. But I'm selling it hard because holy shit... Did it resonate with me as a viewer? To put it bluntly, as the fans say these days, this is awesome. Clap, 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 clap. Now, Mr. Perfect in the ring has seen enough, and he heads down towards the aisleway. However, the way it's shot, Mr. Perfect appears 
coming from the right side of the frame out of nowhere. If you recall, in episode one, the clown menace, or the phantom menace, or whatever, Doink appeared from the left side of the screen as a quote-unquote illusion and attacked Mr. Perfect. Well, now, Mr. Perfect is doing the same thing, attacking from behind and using the opposite side of the camera to do it. Oh, boy. The film nerd in me is having a fucking orgasm. All right? He hits some right hands and chops. Just like last time, when things broke down and emotions got high, Perfect turned it into a slugfest, and things are already high, and he's in a slugfest. And when he hits him, that being hits Doink the first time, the bucket of popcorn flings and flies backwards behind Doink into the aisleway, and the bell to start the match rings. And we covered this. Perfect's coming from the other side. What he does, though, is he grabs Doink by the wig and rams him face-first into the steel steps. And if you've been paying attention, that's the first thing that Doink did after he attacked from behind in the first match. Oh my god. Folks, this is what we call brand synergy. A few more chops and Mr. Perfect tosses Doink inside the ring. Doink, just like last time, immediately begs for forgiveness or for mercy. Just like the evil clown should. But he cuts his begging short and goes to kick Mr. Perfect. He uses the left leg, and Mr. Perfect catches the leg and immediately goes to work on it. And again, it's the same fucking leg. Perfect only hits one big offensive strike on the left leg, and Doink sells it like it's been getting worked over for five minutes straight. Because it's the same leg, and it's still injured from part one. I guess you could say this is a shortcut in narrative storytelling, but it's not. It's effective use of the first episode to tell a story in the second. The brain mentions that the youngster at ringside should thank Doink for all of that because now he won't have to take his regularly scheduled Saturday night bath, which is a great Bobby line in my opinion. Perfect then applies what I'm calling sort of a one-legged figure four. Uh, Luckily, JR chimes in that it's a leg grapevine because thank you, JR. I had no idea what to call it. Doink sits up and begs. Because Perfect's right in his face, and when Doink sits up, like The Undertaker kind of, he's right in Perfect's face. What does Perfect answer with? Slap! Again, Doink goes down, sits up, and begs. Slap! The Brain mentions the dangling plot thread. That Doink wrestles kind of like someone we know, but we can't quite put our finger on it. And they talk about this for a while, and and I remember this. And I wish it would have gotten paid off someday. I don't know if you guys remember this. The theory where, like, Bobby Heenan would be like, This Doink, he seems familiar! I don't know. It's a thing that didn't get mentioned in the first match. It's being mentioned here, which is why I wanted to point it out. And, you know, it's fun. Perfect, though, gets a little too close to Doink. Doink takes advantage and rakes his eyes and escapes from this. He's limping, but he finds the strength to whip Mr. Perfect into the ropes. As Perfect and Doink make contact, Doink cinches in a sleeper. Eh, Okay, I'm not a big sleeper fan, so let's see where this goes. Luckily, it goes the direction it should. Because Doink's an evil clown. He's not just going to put you in the sleeper. He's going to violently toss you around and kind of choke when you're in the sleeper. And he does that. The way he shakes Perfect, it works really well. He's also not only shaking Mr. Perfect's head around, he's also shaking his left leg to make sure he keeps feeling in it. God bless you, Doink the evil clown. Now Perfect pulls an old page out of Bret Hart's book, runs over to the turnbuckle and ducks down very fast. This causes Perfect to go straight to the canvas, and it causes Doink's face 
to go straight into the turnbuckle. At this point, something a little weird happens with the presentation. The camera goes to a wide-angle view of the arena, kind of the view that you would expect if Vince is like, Welcome to Hartford, Connecticut! Welcome to WrestleMania! You know, that sort of thing. And I was like, why are they in this view? Unfortunately, the answer comes right away. Now, Doink is hurt from being slammed to the turnbuckle, and he's not facing Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect does a perfectly acceptable thing, and kicks Doink's left leg right out of his leg. And if you get don't get the reference, he does the same thing that Owen Hart does to Bret Hart. He just kicks Doink's left leg so Doink falls down. You know, because he's going to start going back to work on it. Now, what does this have to do with the wide angle? Well, even in the wide view, you can see that, unfortunately, Mr. Perfect kind of misses Doink uh, when he goes to kick his leg right out of his leg. It, it, he misses and Doink still sells it by taking a back bump and holding his leg in pain. And damn it! Like, look, I- I'm not going to kill the match for this, however it goes, okay? But it's something to keep in mind when you give when we dish out the star ranking at the end. Nobody's perfect. It doesn't kill the match. But I'm only trying to be fair. That's why I'm pointing it out and making it clear to you, the listener. But yet, again, somehow there's some sort of divine providence or what have you, and it's as if they can hear me or read the comments that I'm typing out because they work so hard to wash that taste immediately out of my mouth. Mr. Perfect pulls Doink over to the apron and smashes the left leg into the side of the ring. Now, Doink is in intense pain here, and he backs up into the corner and tries to stand up. Mr. Perfect stalks the Mr. Perfect stalks his prey. Doink then sits in the corner and straight up just begs, please, no. Mr. Perfect grabs the left leg, but Doink holds on to the ropes, doubling down as if to say, you're not getting baby out of a corner. So Mr. Perfect lifts Doink straight into the air by the left leg. He gets a ridiculous amount of air and slams the Doinkster down. Doink the Clown's head bounces off the canvas. Not in a way that I think that was the story they were going to tell, but it just fucking does. Doink sits up Undertaker style, not because it's a taunt, but because he's legitimately in pain and he's holding his head. Mr. Perfect takes one look at this new vulnerability, looks at Doink like he's pathetic, and just kicks his head straight in and it slams back down on the mat. During this whole sequence of Mr. Perfect dissecting Doink and then going for this newfound weakness, Bobby the Brain Heenan is comparing Mr. Perfect's match strategies to math. And he's not saying it in a joking way, but basically, you know how like math mathematics is sort of like the opposite of creativity in a way, and I'm not throwing shade at math, okay? It's just, it's precise, it's defined, it's definite, and it's just how Mr. Perfect works in the ring. And I really appreciated that. Mr. Perfect then, again, with the leg grapevine, and it's technically a pin, so the ref goes down to start counting. One, two, but Doink, in defense, pulls Mr. Perfect's hair to break the count. Perfect doesn't release the hold, but the ref stops counting because a flagrant hair grab or rule break has taken place. It's genius by Doink. So Mr. Perfect stands up and applies a step-over leg lock. So now he's standing over Doink, still applying pressure, 
and Doink has no way of grabbing the hair. Eventually, Doink finds the power to use his right leg and his right foot to kick Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect does indeed go down. Doink uses the ropes to get up, tries to run away, but Mr. Perfect has never let go of the left leg, and Doink falls yet again. Perfect drags Doink away from the ropes and applies the goddamn figure four. JR does his awesome WCW uh, early 90s football. Uh, figure four uh, accentuates seven points of pain, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Bobby's like, no, it's eight. Seven points of leg pain and one point on your wallet, indicating that you will lose hurting your wallet. And it's just, it's great. Doink is clearly hurting here, but he's holding on to his composure. He isn't letting loose and screaming. He's reaching for the ropes. He's reaching for the ropes like he's a baby face. It's so cool, though, because it works. He finally gets to the ropes, and once he does, he lets out all of his pain and anguish. It's as if he's saying to me that he didn't want to show weakness, letting Perfect know that the figure four was getting to him. But now that he's gotten a hold of the ropes and Perfect will have to break the hold, he no longer has to expand energy to hold in his pain and let his opponent know how much he's actually working one over on him. Mr. Perfect refuses to break the figure four, so Dave Hepner has to physically get down on his knees and like remove the legs from the locked position. Mr. Perfect approaches the wounded jester, now that a break has been obtained, but Doink lunges forward, yanks on Mr. Perfect's singlet, and throws Mr. Perfect violently outside of the ring. Now Doink wants to follow up on this, so he rolls outside the ring. And when I say he rolls outside of the ring, folks, I mean he literally rolls outside of the ring, and he falls like a fucking sack of potatoes, because he just can't roll out and stand up because of the leg pain. But he wants to pursue his fallen foe, so he kind of says, Fuck it. I don't care. I'm rolling out. I'm going to sacrifice my own body to put the pressure on. It's a cool character choice, and I love that Doink just goes for it and just lets himself fall because he knows he can't use his legs to brace him if he wants to get over that his leg is hurting. Now he rams Mr. Perfect face first into the steps, which is a cornerstone of the narrative of these matches so far. And of course, it's Mr. Perfect, and so the impact of going face first into the steps sends him flying because, again, it's Mr. Perfect and he sells like a badass. Doink rolls into the ring, and his face is telling me, I'm exhausted, and you know what? I, I really wanted to fuck this guy up, but I think a countout's going to work for me after all. But again, some sort of divine intervention. It's like he hears my thoughts because he rolls back out of the ring and you can see a grin on his face like, eh, I changed my mind. I'm going to fuck this guy up some more. One more steel kiss for Mr. Perfect. That's Mr. Perfect kissing the steps, mind you. And doink goes up top. And I thought for sure he was going to come diving to the outside again. Not so much repeating the same spot from match one, but echoing it. But he just throws his arms out and sort of taunts the crowd. And I was like, okay, doink, please save some for match three. Your poor left leg. Mr. Perfect rolls back into the ring to break the count out, but the damage is done, and now it's Doink's time to shine. He's in control, and he slams Mr. Perfect around the ring, sort of like throwing him into the turnbuckle and what have you and slamming him. 
But the whole time, I want it to be pointed out to the audience that Doink is limping. He continues to sell the leg even though he is on offense. Uh, He decides to go after Mr. Perfect's left arm. He wrenches it and steps on it a couple times. Doink then puts Perfect's left arm behind Mr. Perfect's head and slams them both into the mat. Mr. Perfect sells the impact and the pain, and Doink does too, because after he does this, he's exerted so much force to slam Perfect down, his leg buckles, and he falls into the ropes because, you know, he couldn't brace himself because the ring shook. But he just smiles into the camera as if it's worth the pain for him if he's giving pain to Perfect. Now, Perfect gets back up and sort of balances himself on the ropes. Doink runs toward Mr. Perfect, and the spot is clearly supposed to be clothesline Mr. Perfect over the top. But Doink doesn't run at full speed. Not because he's making a mistake, because his character can't, because the leg is you know, is hurt. So he sort of he sort of limp runs, and it doesn't allow him to hit the clothesline with full force. Perfect understanding this adjusts the amount of selling that he gives it and sort of slides down to the ring apron and falls outside of the uh, underneath the ring of his own accord. It's not a botch. It's an adjustment. It makes sense. Doink couldn't clothesline at full power. So he limp run. He did a limp run, and it was a weak clothesline. And perfect selling adjusted accordingly. It's awesome. Mister Perfect comes back in though after being outside the ring. We get a snap mare by Doink, and he transitions to an arm bar. During this submission hold, Brain says that he once asked Doink where he was from, and Doink looked at Bobby the Brain Heenan, and after thinking about it for a moment, said to Bobby, "Well, where would you be from?" If it didn't matter. Bobby said, I just left it alone and walked away. Hashtag thank you, Bobby, because you are awesome. The armbar sequence reaches its conclusion when Mr. Perfect comes up to a vertical base. The two combatants face off and they start exchanging right hands. The best way for me to describe this, folks, is that if this was taking place in the modern era, it would be the... Yeah, boo, punching segment. You know what I'm talking about. Now, Doink wins this exchange because Mr. Perfect stops throwing punches. At this particular moment, Doink seizes the opportunity and starts going left, right, left, right. Ridiculous punches being thrown by a clown. Mr. Perfect falls backwards dead. That whole spot was tremendous, and even if he was a heel in the modern era, he would be getting a ridiculous face pop. I can guarantee it. Especially because Doink starts laughing. Mr. Perfect stands up yet again, but it's clear that he's sort of out on his feet. He starts throwing wild hands, though, and one does connect. Doink looks pissed. Like, how dare you? And throws a stiff left. They trade punches again. And and I don't, I mean, it's just a fucking punch fest. Stiff shots. I'm really starting to get into it. All of a sudden, the bell rings. They keep punching, though. And look, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if these connect or not, but I'm enthralled in the presentation. I'm loving these two guys just letting it all hang out. 
Perfect seems to win this post-match punch fest, but hey, it's a post-match punch fest, so it doesn't actually count. He then hits the perfect plex. Dave Hepner's like waving his hands like, no, no, no. And, uh, you know, the, the, the bell has rung. So I don't know why now we're going to see a perfect plex, but we do. It, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. Perfect finally lets Doink out of the perfect plex and Doink rolls to safety. On commentary, JR assumes it's a time limit. We cut to la- Doink laughing into the camera as he awaits the word. The word comes through that it is a time limit draw. This time, Doink hears the ruling and switches to angry, which if you recall, will be the opposite of the end of match one, where he was emotionless and then laughing when he heard the ruling, as if getting one over on Mr. Perfect was the joke he was going for. But now, the time for telling tales is over, and it's time to get to the king of the ring. Mr. Perfect grabs the mic and says, Give me five more minutes, bozo. Doink acts like he's not interested. Mr. Perfect turns around and talks to the audience. Doink, of course, sneaks in, kicks Mr. Perfect, and then leaves. Mr. Perfect gives chase. Doink is about halfway down the aisle. He has to start running, and he does. He runs and limps all the way to the curtain with Mr. Perfect close at his heels, and the match sort of fades away. And that's the end of episode two. All right. I really enjoyed that match quite a bit. Now, we talked about the botch. I'm not taking any points away for it. It They did what they could to cover. Uh, I guess one could argue covering for it made it worse, but I don't care. It didn't take me out of it. So they have not lost anything from their base at two and a half. I'm giving them the same one star I gave them last time. I'm adding a quarter of a star for the continuation of all the plot threads from the first match. I'm also giving them a quarter of a star for the increased intensity and hatred that they seem to organically be gaining for one another through the fact that they've had to wrestle two time limit draws for one another. They're starting to understand what the other one is capable of and Perfect has had enough of Doink's shenanigans and Doink seems to have reached his limit when it comes to clowning a round pun intended. So if you're a math major like I am not... That's going to top this one out at four stars, and I'm standing by it. I don't care what the internet says. If I included Doink's entrance shenanigans, I'd be a four and a quarter. But I promised that I would focus on the work, and that's what I'm doing. So we're leaving it at four. So that puts match one at three and three quarters, match two at four. To me, this is fitting, because second trilogy chapters, if they're done properly, they usually add to the threads from the first episode or the original that were good. And they don't waste time establishing things, or re-establishing things, I should say, that were established in the first movie episode whatever. Like the leg injury. It just happened and we accepted it and we knew it was coming, hypothetically. They upped the stakes as well. The pure, unscientific fistfight shenanigans that ended this match really show us that if there were to be a third contest, well, hell, maybe they'd start with weapons and just beat the shit out of each other. Pure awesome, in my opinion. My only fear at this point is that part three can't possibly continue this upward trend, right? I mean, we're already at four stars. How much higher can they go? And and again, I, I don't know about my credibility when it comes to match rankings. 
And, and at this point, I, I feel pretty comfortable with where I'm at. You know, I'm super excited to see what can happen from match three. I'm, I, you know, I could tell you right now, I'm not going to do anything crazy like go five. Right? No, like that's, I know it's not. I know the difference. But at the same time, I just, it's the little things that make it so much better, that make it, you know, I, if this was Mr. Perfect and who's another competent wrestler from this time period, trying desperately to think of one, I don't know, beautiful Bobby. And nothing against Beautiful Bobby, just I guess the first one that popped into my head. I'm not getting there. Because if you have two guys who are just athletes, and they're doing fun stuff, that's fine. But the added layer of Doink's presentation just makes this for me. So, I don't know. I'm not... I am excited that Match 3 is probably going to be longer. I am also excited that Match 3, I know, takes place in the Manhattan Center, which is an environment I'm excited to get into. I'm not so naive, though, to assume that longer means better. I'm just thinking that perhaps they will ha- use the time to add another layer to the story. Um, I do think that some of the benefits of being in these 10-minute matches where we know they were going to go 10 minutes is that when they do apply like a rest hold or a submission maneuver, there's not a lot of, they don't waste a lot of time uh, just standing there and you know, wrenching up and being like, oh, now I'm, now I'm making your arm even tighter and hurt more. They move quick from beat to beat, from plot point to plot point. So uh, we're going to have to see where the future takes us. We know that it is indeed Monday Night Raw. The May 24th episode from 1993, to be a little bit more specific, it's the same episode where Razor Ramon offers uh, money to the 123 Kid in order for a rematch. Now one thing I want to keep in mind as we head into the final match of the trilogy it's not a definite rule of trilogies and like cinema and other forms of entertainment, but a lot of times the third part will change your perspective on the events from the first one. Perhaps we will learn a new truth or a secret, secret, goodness, a secret will be revealed that will change the way we interpret everything we've seen come before us. Uh, think Scream 3, I always like to lead into as a really bad example, where spoiler alert for Scream 3... You find out that Nev Campbell always had a brother she never knew about. It's probably one of the worst examples. Or, spoiler alert for Star Wars Episode Nine, Rey finds out she's the granddaughter of the Emperor. I paused there just in case. Fuck that movie. Anywho, Vince McMahon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and the Macho Man Randy Savage are on the call because it's Monday Night Raw, and it seems that the match is up first. During the stand-up interview promoting the show, Bobby the Brain Heenan puts on some glasses to let us know that we may have to prepare for some double or even triple vision. According to the Fink, there's a special stipulation on this match. There must be a winner! You wouldn't know that, no, because uh, the commentators don't really talk about it, but luckily, headphones in the future. Am I right? So I hear uh, if the Fink say this. Doink emerges from the back and immediately swats away fans' hands and signs, even though there's a fantastic sign that's in favor of Doink in the front row. He immediately crawls underneath the ring, and the camera catches all this in clear view. Vince McMahon lets us know that Lord Alfred Hayes is yelling in his headset. So that's where Vince got it from. But Lord Alfred is demanding to be put on the air. So we cut to the outside, New York City. And we see a very calm Lord Alfred Hayes in the streets, uh, leading me to believe that Vince may be embellishing, but hey, I'm just having fun with it. 
Now, Alfred has saw what just happened, but look who is standing here beside me. It is indeed Doink. Lord Alfred Hayes is like, Doink the Clown, how are you standing here next to me on the streets of New York City when you are clearly underneath the wrestling ring? Doink says, I'm not standing here. It's an illusion. Then he reaches over to Lord Alfred Hayes and rips a flower that was pinned to Alfred's suit coat and then squirts the Lord with some water from his own flower. Science experiment alert, kids. Now that school is starting back up and you find yourself in need for a science experiment, post this clip online using the title WWE Unwanted Facial and see what happens. As Doink leaves the scene, Lord Alfred Hayes says, Oh, he's done it again. Doink, back in the arena, emerges from under the ring, holding the flower he stole from Lord Alfred Hayes and just laughing his ass off. Mr. Perfect comes down the aisle now. He leaps over the ropes to enter the ring, as he is known to do, and Doink strikes immediately. So here we go. Another match in this trilogy that starts with a sneak attack. Although, what I like about this version, we saw in the first one, Doink attacks from behind. In the second, Perfect attacks from behind. In this one, they're face-to-face, but the match hasn't technically started. So it's like, fine, let's do this, Perfect, but, you know, I'm not going to give you any sort of wiggle room here. I just, I love it. This is Doink Perfect 3! says Randy Savage, and Randy, I'm with you, buddy. I'm excited, too. Doink immediately goes to work on Mr. Perfect by choking him with his own towel. So, again, uh, a nice twist on the unexpected attack attack leading to a quote-unquote rule-break move. Uh, The first two sneak attacks uh, ended with getting your face rammed into the steel steps, which is frowned upon but not illegal, and here we are with Doink now choking Perfect with the towel. Doink uses the towel around Perfect's neck to flip him across the ring, then begins to dry himself off with the towel. And it's not just a slight pantomime. Doink makes sure that every part of his body gets attention, and it's glorious. Mr. Perfect comes back, though, and reclaims a bit of his dignity and the towel by hitting a towel choke clothesline. I don't know what else to call it, before tossing the towel to the outside of the ring. Now punches and chops from Mr. Perfect. He's not happy. And we immediately devolve into a slugfest, which is a cornerstone of this trilogy. It's right where we left off in episode two. Doink tries to undercut the fisticuffs by kicking Mr. Perfect in the gut using the left leg. Mr. Perfect catches the kick and trips Doink. And now the left leg is once again in peril. Mr. Perfect hits one leg breaker maneuver, and Doink, again, like the genius he is, selling the leg as if we are 10 minutes into the matchup. Of course, picking up the dangling threads from episodes 1 and 2. Leg grapevine now applied by Mr. Perfect, and Doink's screams are great. He's not holding it in this time, he's letting it known that he's in pain. Mr. Perfect then rams the leg into the post, Doink is wondering if he can even continue. Uh, And speaking of continuing, a graphic on the screen lets us know that Raw will continue. Stay with us! We're back, though, because, you know, the future. Mr. Perfect has Doink in the corner. The jovial jester is begging for his life. We are told that Mr. Perfect has been in control during the entire commercial break. Thanks for filling us in, guys. 
Mr. Perfect is kind of cocky, though, and kind of laughing now that he's in complete control. Doink fires back with a fierce right-legged kick. Okay. Doink limps over to stomp on Mr. Perfect and falls over after delivering the stomp because, once again, folks, he's a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. And, you know, when he lifts up his right foot to stomp, all of his weight is on the left leg. So science wins. Uh, I get a kick out of Doink, says Bobby the Brain Heated. Uh, Great moment here as Doink tosses Mr. Perfect over the top rope rope and starts to limp over to the turnbuckle we've seen this he had aerial success in episode one but he thinks the better of it because the leg is just too injured after two encounters with perfect already and turns back to making uh, to making the decision to leave the ring and confront mr perfect on the outside without jumping he rams mr perfect into the post now a little bit of payback on commentary we get what a maneuver by doink Doink rolls into the ring now, willing to clearly, finally let these matches end be a countout. We saw this in episode 2. Mr. Perfect climbs to the apron, though, and a mini slugfest breaks out here. Now, Mr. Perfect is on the losing end as a strike makes him fall back down to the outside. Doink sort of plays to the crowd, and Mr. Perfect rolls back inside. A fireman carry takeover by Doink? No, it's countered into a head scissors by Mr. Perfect. Now, now, Mr. Perfect has the head scissors locked on as a submission attempt. But Doink's shoulders are now down, and we get a one count. Doink kicks out. Then we get a two count, and Doink kicks out. And I will, I will say this. The ref, and I don't really remember this, probably because I was just a kid back in the early 90s, but the ref is doing a great job of checking to make sure the shoulders are down by sliding his hands under Doink's shoulders. Now, this happens all the time in amateur wrestling. I've got plenty of experience watching and being a part of that. But, you know, I think of that as more of a modern uh, style of presentation, the more realistic approach. And so I really appreciated that, and the referee should be commended. Doink is still in the head scissors now. He struggles to break free and actually rolls over. So now, Doink, still in the head scissors, has Mr. Perfect in a pinning predicament. This next sequence is tremendous. Doink is grabbing the ropes, even though he's pinning perfect, because he wants to trigger a rope break from the submission. When the ref starts to count Perfect's shoulders down, Doink, even though he's a heel, lets go of the ropes, because he wants to win this fucker. And if his arm's on the ropes, the ref's not going to count, so he lets go. Mr. Perfect will kick out, and Doink immediately goes back to grabbing the ropes, because he's desperate for a rope break from the submission maneuver. Well, Perfect's shoulders go down again, so Doink lets go. One, two, finally, Perfect uses the ropes to his own advantage. He grabs the rope to break up the pinfall submission, and Doink says, ah, and grabs the ropes himself to break up the submission. So they both grab the ropes at the same time, and the ref calls for separation, which is the only legal maneuver that can happen at this point. And the superstars abide and separate. Look, I know it's kind of basic, but as you can hopefully tell, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, Doink's like Jello. There's always room for more, Vince. <laughs> I see. That actually happened. Doink limps away now and catches a little breather while Perfect is down. He just laughs into the camera maniacally, which is a cornerstone of the Doink presentation. Some of the paint on the bottom half of his face is starting to smear off, and he looks great. 
Doink approaches Perfect now to continue the match and takes his arm down, and he's sort of in a cross-face position. Mr. Perfect spins around and counters with some amateur wrestling. Vince calls it, what a maneuver! Back up to a vertical base now, but Doink is still holding the arm. Doink's left leg gives out, which actually works out in his favor, because both men fall as Doink's weight collapses, and he still has the arm bar locked in. Perfect again with some amateur wrestling maneuvers, and stands above Doink now, and stomps on his left leg viciously. I love how in this trilogy of matches, Mr. Perfect continues to come across as a smart babyface, that even though he's a babyface, he does what's right to win the match. Now, there's nothing wrong with stomping on your opponent's leg, but I suppose how you could be like, well, the babyface is kind of being mean, and I, I, I don't think that. I think it's genius wrestling strategy. Perfect now in control, hits Doink with a leg snap, where he sort of like jumps forward, holding on Doink's left leg. Macho man Randy Savage can smell the brand synergy and yells, Snap into it, Mr. Perfect! Yeah! Shades of early 1993 now, as Doink is legitimately begging off Mr. Perfect like he's Ric Flair. Perfect is all like, fine, you want to be Ric Flair? He stands Doink up, hits him with a stiff, woo, reverse knife-edge chop. Doink falls down, and now you're going to see a figure four. It's a cool variant version, though, because Mr. Perfect is on his knees while also having the figure four locked in, and it allows him to shift his weight forward, if Doink doesn't submit, to create a pinning predicament. Doink kicks out a couple of times, but Perfect cinches in harder. Doink starts to do Undertaker kicks kickouts, meaning that the ref will be like, one, two, and at two, Doink sits up like the Undertaker. Every time Doink sits up to kick out of the pinning predicament, Mr. Perfect greets him with a slap to the face. Ah, dare I say perfect. I don't want to oversell it, but the match continues, of course. This time, however, Doink sits up completely prepared and anticipating the slap. So he pokes Mr. Perfect right in the eyes and that breaks the hold apart. Doink the clown, what an opportunist, Vince McMahon, uh-huh. Now, Mr. Perfect is blinded and dazed. Doink stands up, and what I can only describe as limp runs towards Mr. Perfect. And, and keep in mind, Mr. Perfect is wandering around the ring in one general area, sort of staggered. Right as Doink gets closer to Mr. Perfect, uh, Kurt Henning happens to walk in the opposite direction of where Doink is, and Doink has to angrily pivot and limp run in the opposite direction. Now, it's a super missable detail, and I'm probably making it sound cooler than it is, but he does do this, that being Doink. He kind of spins in a little circle and and catches that Mr. Perfect is now opposite of where he needs to be and, and just sort of limp runs the other direction. Now, what I like about this little hilarious circle is that when Doink finally catches up to Mr. Perfect, Doink at least responds in character. He's angry at this point. He's done clowning around, and he just bites Mr. Perfect in the face. Uh, he must have skipped lunch, I suppose. Mr. Perfect rolls out of the ring. Doink, still in angry, pissed-off clown mode, pursues, and he's grunting. He's like, nah, nah, and, and that's great character stuff. Vince and Barbie are... Barbie? <laughs> Whoa. 
Vince and Bobby, that is, are arguing over disqualifications, biting legality, and yelling things like, This is raw, McMahon! Going back to the arm now as Doink locks it behind Mr. Perfect's body and rams him right into the post. Perfect falls and Doink is stomping himself a mud hole. Over by the announce table now, Mr. Perfect shoots the leg, amateur style, and both men are down by the announce table. (gasps) Wait. Pause. Wrestling fans, something happens here, and I don't like it, but I'm going to talk about it in probably greater detail than I should, but stay with me. Mr. Perfect shoots for the legs, as I had mentioned, and Doink falls on his butt, and that's okay, because that's kind of how you fall in that scenario. Mr. Perfect then kind of punches Doink's leg. Doink is just sitting there for like maybe one to two seconds. Their faces get closer to one another. Ah, and it's clear that they're talking. They're having to fix something. Mr. Perfect stands up and kicks Doink's left leg. Doink, however, doesn't sell the pain. He just kind of looks at Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect rolls into the ring to break the 10 count. This happens at time code 10 minutes and 51 seconds to 11 minutes and 1 second. As I mentioned, Perfect goes inside. Doink grabs the leg and drags Mr. Perfect over to the opposite ring post that they were at. So, an analysis. They've gotten back by the ring post, which is clearly where they wanted to be. And uh, I guess they needed to communicate to uh, get themselves back where they needed to be, meaning that they had to do some more post-related shenanigans to tell the story they wanted to tell. I wouldn't go so far as to call this a botch, but I would go so far as to tell you that I was watching this match at a fever pitch, and when this happened, I paused and had to wrap my brain around what was happening, and it, it did take me out. They've gone Like I said, they're they're back to where they are. And Doink rams Mr. Perfect's right arm into the post now. Shit. That is the wrong arm. However, Doink gets me back into the storytelling. And you can kind of see on his face that he's aware of the situation. And what he does is he takes the right arm and rams it three more times into the post with anger. So hypothetically... I'm willing to take the leap that this puts the right arm just as injured as the left was in my brain. As all of this is happening, Bobby the Brain Heenan is laughing his ass off on commentary, saying things like, Oh, this guy's a barrel of laughs. Doink really cracks me up. Now, one could argue, why is he doing this and taking attention away from the match? But here's, here's the thing. Bobby, much like myself, I feel like started to notice something was up because he's not really active on commentary and then he gets overactive on commentary and starts really leading into his shtick. It's my opinion that Bobby the Brain Heenan may be helping to distract the viewer and I appreciate that and Bobby I say thank you because I think that's a pretty damn good idea. Just take five seconds of attention away from the match and put it on yourself or at least you know just sort of uh just draw attention away from the match. It's the easiest way I can put it. Doink inside now with a boot choke on Mr. Perfect. And we're back to sort of regular pace and regular things. And, and this dark 20 to 30 seconds uh, chapter in history has passed. So let's just put it behind us. Okay. Uh, 
as the boot choke is taking place, McMahon's all like, look at this man. Oh, that's Bobby Heenan. Excuse me. Let's try that again. Ahem. Look at this man. What kind of an evil jerk would dress in that garb? And I was like, wow, that's a hilarious way to phrase things, Vince. But then he adds in, it makes children cry. What makes this man tick? So at least Vince is, you know, uh, leading into the fact that Doink is pure evil. And so it's okay. And to tell you the truth, regardless of how you might feel about it, I'm pointing it out because it made me fucking laugh. Vince is just uh, in rare form here. Doink now applies an arm submission onto the right arm. That's his new target, and that's fine. Doink clearly realizes that Mr. Perfect will not submit, so he flattens the arm onto the mat and jumps up very high and stomps it with his own right foot, which is the uninjured foot. And now I'm really believing that this arm is just as fucked up as the left arm is, and so we're okay completely. Uh, Vince McMahon then adds another fantastic moment to the history of this match when he says, You can bet the original Hawaiian punch, Crush, is looking on. He called him the original Hawaiian Punch. And now we have a doink chant from the Manhattan Center faithful. Thank you very much, you loyal ECW fans. Doink then puts the right arm behind Mr. Perfect as he's standing and does a body slam. So Perfect's entire body lands on his own right arm and we are at even arm weakness. Thank you, Doink, for getting us there. This guy's good, says Randy Savage. Doink takes a minute to laugh maniacally, loud enough for the Manhattan Center audience to take it. Oh yeah, he's a million laughs. One, two, no, it's a kick out. Stay with us, we'll be back. And we're back. And we have devolved to a slugfest in the center of the ring. The match has reached a point where we are right where match two ended, and I'm feeling like we're right back where we should be, and my energy's getting amped up. Mr. Perfect hits an atomic drop. Both men go off the ropes on different sides of the ring. Mr. Perfect hits what I have to call a clothesline from Minnesota, because it is a clothesline from hell-worthy clothesline by the perfect one. It's so intense, he falls from the impact himself. Mr. Perfect tries to pursue Doink, but Doink yanks the singlet, and Perfect eats the middle turnbuckle for his troubles. Mr. Perfect then ducks a clothesline, but hits a clothesline of his own, and Doink flies over the top rope over by the announce table. Wait a minute, what's this? We cut to the entranceway, and Doink is actually now coming down the aisle from the backstage area, uh, and he goes underneath the ring the opposite side of where we saw him land from the clothesline. We cut back to what I'm now going to refer as Injured Doink, and Injured Doink does an Undertaker sit-up. He shakes his upper body and convulses and falls back down. He then does the same thing. Undertaker sit-up, convulsing, and then falls back down. It's very comical, but it's in character, and that's what is so awesome about Doink. He can do shit like this, and it doesn't distract from the presentation. It doesn't take away from the match, and I absolutely believe that Doink, the insane, evil, and now injured clown, would do these things. Injured Doink rolls underneath the ring, and fresh Doink emerges, selling immense leg pain. Macho Man Randy Savage is furious on commentary. You would think that his arch-nemesis Spider-Man had gotten involved in the match, for goodness sakes. The New York City crowd delivers once again with its, shall we say, somewhat smartened up ability to start a chant. 
with a that's a new one clap 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 that's a new one clap 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 again thank you new york city mr perfect pulls the fresh doink inside and fresh doink immediately hammers away on mr perfect now mr perfect goes into mr perfect overselling mode here but it's perfect and it absolutely work each hit that he's getting uh, staggered with is making him fly into the air, putting over the point that a man at full strength and full power is now striking him. Mr. Perfect gets whipped into the opposite turnbuckle by the fresh one, <laughs> the, the by the fresh maker, I should say. Fresh Doink sprints at Mr. Perfect into the corner and does a monkey flip. And Mr. Perfect uh, does some gymnastics for the benefit of the sport. Uh, He's magically healed, Doink that is. The left leg is now just fine as evident from the monkey flip. Doink whips Mr. Perfect into the ropes. He puts his head down for a big back body drop. But Mr. Perfect, as he bounces off the ropes, sees that his opponent's head is down. He stops his rope bounce by sort of wrapping his arm around the rope and jumps halfway across the ring to his opponent that is not looking. Now you're going to see... A perfect plex. He hits it. One, two, three. He beat the wrong doink, says Bobby the Brain Heenan, after saying on commentary that he didn't know what the other guys were talking about. There's only one doink. I just love when Bobby does stuff like that. Uh, Injured doink now emerges from underneath the ring, and both doinks start putting the boots to Mr. Perfect. Real doink things kind of fall apart here guys real doink is using his left leg to stomp on mr perfect i'm just uh what's what's happened here guys kona crush comes out sloppily beats up the two doinks original doink does eat a military press slam uh the doinks gain a little bit of my happiness back when they join arm in arm outside the ring and fresh doink helps original doink limp off into the sunset all right So that ends this match. Let's get a star ranking out here and then wrap this thing up. So I debated endlessly what to do about that spot that I talked in great detail about with the quote-unquote botch, miscommunication, or the reset. I was so close to deducting a quarter star for it. I really, really was. But then I thought about the ingenuity that was involved to get back on task and how when Doink realized he was going after the wrong arm, he made a point to really overindulge injury to that new arm and so I kept them at the two and a half base I give them a star because it's better than your standard match as I have been doing I give them a quarter of a star for continuing the dangling plot threads and I'm going to give them a quarter of a star for adding some new twists as well and I'm not giving them any more and I'll explain why in a moment so this one the capper the finale of the trilogy stands at four stars so let's recap everything Match one, three and three quarters. Match two, four. I'm probably higher than most on two, I'll admit. And match three, also at four. Now, to, you know, to sort of explain where I'm coming from. I can absolutely see and understand that match three is better than match two. Ironically, I'm also the guy on these things who usually praises the sports entertainment aspect of professional wrestling. And do not get me wrong, the illusion stuff and the gags in this match are perfectly fine. They're great, actually. I have zero problem with them. 
But here's where match three doesn't overperform, in my opinion. Given what I have watched in the investment that I have truly, honestly made in these two performers in this trilogy of matches, and I hope you believe me when I say that and can hear my conviction here, I got emotionally involved in this. It kind of breaks my heart that the finish to this story, the conclusion, didn't actually involve Doink. And I'm doing the, the finger quote. It didn't involve the original Doink, okay? I like that part three added new wrinkles to the narrative, and I liked how they expanded upon existing plot threads. And we talked about how the final part of a trilogy may change how you see the overall story by introducing new concepts. And I do love that we finally got to see a doink illusion happen in an actual match. After all the talking about it on commentary and videos, we saw it firsthand in the match, the finale. It's like Doink was holding it all back, and then he used his power, and it bit him in the end. The crowd was super great, as was commentary. They're a lot of fun. But in the end, the overall finish to this trilogy, that being the finish to match three, uh, while not a miss and not bad at all, didn't seem to give us a true finish to the Mr. Perfect battle with Doink. And my overall final thought on the entire trilogy stands at this. The trilogy of matches was top-notch, and I am extremely happy to have had this experience reliving them, and I would absolutely recommend them to anyone that is a fan of the art form. I might be overselling it quite a bit, but I usually don't look at wrestling matches the same way that everybody else does. That doesn't make me special. I'm just saying that I'm more of an in-the-moment type of guy. Sitting down and watching these two work and evolve the story over a course of three matches was an absolute pleasure. And so, overall, I am completely over-the-moon positive for the Mr. Perfect versus Doink King of the Ring qualifying trilogy, despite a sort of Return of the Jedi finish, if you pardon the expression. But Return of the Jedi, to me, is like the second or third worst Star Wars movie out of all nine. It's fine. I love them all, except nine. But it it just doesn't feel like the right ending to that trilogy for me. And when I say the right ending, I'm talking like maybe the last... Yeah, well, it's fine, Hunnids, but the, the Ewoks take up too much time and what have you. And I'm just using that as a comparison because a lot of people get it. And uh, the only real problem I have with the... Monday Night Raw final match is the finish not involving the true Doink participant. If they could have found a way to have original Doink come up under the from under the ring when new Doink fails to, to win uh, and then Perfect gets the plex on original Doink, I'm looking at maybe three of my like one of my favorite things from wrestling that I've experienced in a very long time. So, that's how it stands. But that's going to do it for Bright Man, the three jokers thank you so much remember to subscribe to the aqua cave in your podcast app that way you get updated whenever new content drops thanks again for stepping in with us i am johnny c and never forget that a winner is you we'll see you next time keep busting